genre. <laughs> Thanks, Harley. <laughs> Genre is safe. Genre is comfortable. Genre tells us, as readers, what to expect. As writers, genre gives us guidelines to follow, which can make it a lot easier to plan a story. Put the villain monologue here, put the meet-cute there, tragically kill the protagonist's mentor in this part of the story, put the whiny cat there. But do we rely on genre conventions too much? Can genre hold us back? In this episode of Write Good, we are joined by writer and designer Matt Maxwell. Matt, what genres have you written in? Well, I have written, I don't know, pick one. Uh, science fiction, <laughs> fantasy, weird, which apparently is not horror, but I've also written in horror, crime, romantic suspense, um, under a different name. I can't really talk about it too much other than a general experience. Um Pretty much straight up fantasy and even franchise science fiction fantasy, i.e. in somebody else's sandbox. I see. Particularly for Blizzard Entertainment, which is, you know, my, my big splash of stardom. Yeah. And, you know, and we, when you get to somebody else's sandbox, of course, then you have this extra set of rules, which is, you know, sometimes opaque and terrifying and surprising. So. Right. And then way too much on Twitter. But uh, <laughs> So, yeah, it's, you know, a little of everything, except I have a tough time deciding what a thing happens to be. I mean, it's, you know, it just comes out as it does, and which is, of course, why I have sales that I have. So, Right, right. So you don't set out to go, okay, I am going to write a science fiction story. I, I haven't done that since the first thing that I wrote, I think, in like 1991. So... Yeah, I mean, I've written stuff, and it's like, okay, where does this fit now? Uh, that's that's the problem, especially right. when you there's the pure genres, and then there's when you deliberately mix a genre. Like the first comic I did was called Strange Ways, which is, yeah. a, I guess they'd call it a weird western, but it's you know it's a horror it's a horror story set with a western setting. I the see. problem is you piss off the horror people because they say, why are there cowboys in this? And right. the western people say, well, why is this a horror story? Why isn't it something we expect? So. In terms of the work, it's not anything I set out to do. It's just like, well, here's what, here's kind of the thing that I'm working with now, and let's start going with that. Yeah, yeah. I think I do a lot of the same thing, too. I don't really set out to write a science fiction story. It's just I'll write something, and I guess it'll come out kind of sci-fi. I, I ended up writing something that people referred to as a noir story, which I, yeah. I did not intend to, but well, I was pretty I mean, happy with that. You also have to ask with noir, you know, normally there's the two components. There's the whole moral ambiguity thing. And well, right. I mean, three components. There's also the, you know, the power structures are generally out to get you or indifferent at best. Yeah. And then there's the visual component. 
which you hopefully are bringing, hopefully that's something I try very hard to bring into my fiction, but I, I don't, yeah. you know, but I'm thinking particularly filmed, filmed noir, of course. Right. So yeah, it's, you know, which aspect are you going to pick from? It's sort of the tone, you, not necessarily, you don't have the black and white film and stuff in, in mm-hmm. written fiction. You just sort of have that type of narration. I'm not quite sure how to describe it. <laughs> yeah, there's, and there's, the, there's also that whole noir voice. Yeah. And Chandler's a big favorite of mine, you know, aside from his blind spots and racism and everything else. His, his prose voice is, you know, is still pretty startling. Oh, yeah. It's, it's so distinctive and, and just really fun. Yeah. Right. So I feel like before we go on, maybe we should take a, an attempt to eat, to explain what we mean by genre. Okay. So how would we define genre? I think it, I think it obviously it goes beyond subject matter. It goes well, beyond, ah, there's robots in this story. It's a sci-fi story. Right. That goes back to the whole, there's the voice, there's kind of I mean, you can talk about the psychology of it, but mapping a psychology, the psychology or the, what's the word I'm looking for? Mapping something like that in, in uh, science fiction, of course, is basically impossible simply because right. there's so many, so many ways that science fiction almost becomes a mode of storytelling. Right. But we have the, I mean, you know, looking at what even a genre the, you know, we have the, the tropes and expectations, but yeah. I'm, I, I, I have a kind of a ambivalent slash hate relationship with tropes simply because, I mean, I know I, you know, I'll, I'll fall into them without right. thinking about it because I mean, a lot of everybody the time it's comfortable. Does. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's comfortable and it's like, oh, okay, this is why this feels natural. And, you know, if I'm conscious about it, it's like, okay, well, if this feels natural, what can I kind of do to, you know, mess with it some? Yeah. Yeah. Plus like you don't always want to reinvent the wheel every time. No. Sometimes you just want to stick a character or a motif in there and be like, okay, I, I don't want to start this, rebuild this from the ground up. Just there it is. There's this character. Here's a cowboy. You guys, you know what cowboys are here. Right. Here he is. Right. And that's fine. But I, I guess John genre, genre <laughs> might be best in terms of understanding it as sort of a, a, a certain amount of, tropes maybe expected by the reader either you're either there to fulfill them or subvert them but like if you're watching a romantic comedy you have certain expectations yeah yeah there's a there's a meet cute there's the thing that's going to get in between them and then there's the big gesture that's going to get them back together You, you have certain expectations it's and it's funny how well it it certainly can be and i think it as it's practiced a lot, the romantic comedy is a lot of ways. It's like the most hidebound of the, of the, anything that I've come close to working with. It, it absolutely is. It's like, well, yeah. here's the meeting. Here's the first touch. Here's the almost kiss. Here's the, it's very, very beat oriented in the story. Right. And it's not always something that sits well with me. But that goes for any genre, like a haunted house genre. We expect mm-hmm. there are certain things, certain beats, depending on what sort of haunted house genre. If there is a horror story and the protagonist is a mom or a dad and they have a kid and it's a hor- yeah. and it's like a haunted house story, we know at some point there will be a scene where the child insists, "No, mommy, Mister Biggs is real." Yeah, we know that fucking scene is coming. <laughs> <laughs> it happens every time. 
if not the kid being taken away by Mr. Biggs and right, the kid's know. taken away by Mr. Biggs or possessed by Mr. Biggs right. or like you expect it because that's the genre that right you know what it is and so we all we all kind of know have some certain amount of genre awareness if you if you watch more horror movies obviously you're going to be more horror savvy if you right. if you read more romance you are a lot more romance genre savvy but let's look into a little bit of the why as as genre like why do we obsess so much over genres is this a thing that we do as writers or is it really more coming from the market from the industry there are certainly people who are very passionate about i mean you know the the easy one that comes to mind for me in terms of the kind of messy kind of low level warfare between the two is often between science fiction and fantasy right you know you have people who are very much science fiction people people who are very much fantasy people right and there's not much room for transaction between the two it's there there are hard borderlands and here's all the rules and let's let's set out these walls so that so that we maintain this level of purity and expectation it's so funny though it's to people who aren't involved in either of those they just kind of see him as the same right they're like that's that's all nerd shit yeah i mean it's it's all (laughs) yeah it's you know our marvel superheroes science fiction or fantasy well obviously fantasy but they have all the science fiction trappings so that Right, and we have the the gizmos and the what's hits, and you know ultimately Star Trek's fantasy, but I can't really yeah. say that. Yeah. We might want to edit that out. No, that's okay. People, people I mean, I would definitely it. argue that Star Wars is fantasy. It well, is yeah, space fantasy. It, no, it absolutely it's is. space opera, but there's wizards in it, and that's okay. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like space wizards; they're good. Yeah, this is it, it's it's people who have who worry about maintaining a level of purity that kind of get worked up about that sort of thing. Yeah, or get mad like it's not, it's not this, yeah. it's that other thing. Like it, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. It, it really doesn't matter. Who cares? It's fun. It does yeah. not matter. <laughs> but there is there is the reality of the marketplace, and is yeah. something as simple as I mean, with Amazon, I guess it's it's better because we no longer have the what five to seven sections of the bookstore where right. you know maybe you'll end up. You know, th- this is of course talking about like the before times when. You wrote a book and it could get into a bookstore unless you're already, unless you're being published by one of the major publishers. Mm. But yeah, you know, you have the hard literary fiction, romance, science fiction, and fantasy. Sometimes horror is tossed in there. Sometimes it's not crime and, you know, even the Westerns in terms of fiction. You know, with Amazon, we have the categories and then the subgenres, and apparently you're supposed to figure out how to trick the algorithm into making you the, right. the, the you're the number one the king or queen in... of whatever mix of subgenres <laughs> so that you get loved by the algorithm and oh boy that's just exhausting yeah i mean there's a certain audience expectation for genre but a heck of a whole lot yeah a heck of a whole lot of the time genres there just as a way to help sell it mm-hmm it you it's easier to sell something if you can kind of label it and manage customers' expectations. Like if you're selling food, you want to say what kind of food is it? This is a burrito. Right. This is a this. This is a that. Yeah. This is a kind of sandwich. If someone asks what what is this food, and you're like, uh yeah. it's really good. Not, like okay, but what gonna, the fuck is it? Like no one's going to eat that shit. They're not going to be interested. If you tell me it's a burrito and I bite into it and it's filled with peach slices, then I'm probably going to be upset because I expected a some nice refried beans and carnitas and some hot sauce. And yeah, 
So there is, yeah, expectation definitely plays a, a big part of it and therefore marketing. Right. But the question is, you know, how much does it matter? Yeah. I mean, we, we joke about food and we can't really do the one-to-one, but yeah, it, it's, it's like, are you priming expectations for the book? Does this mean it's going to have a happy ending, sad ending? What's the tone? What's the voice? Yeah. This, all of those things go into flux too. So it's, I mean, it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. And I think because of this, unfortunately, it makes it a lot harder to sell something that doesn't fit neatly into a genre. Like some oh, of my yeah. favorite works, some of my favorite movies are things that don't fit into a genre. Like a recent movie that I've just fallen in love with is this 1999. It, it's called Ravenous. It's like a oh, horror, yeah. I love dark that comedy period yep. piece about cannibalism. And it's yep. this great movie, but how the fuck do you market it? And they didn't know how to market it. It, They did. They had no idea. And it's brilliant, really interesting movie. But I feel like the fact that it was so unique worked against it in terms of just selling it. No, it's and and that's absolutely true because, yeah, it's but it is it's strange because you want you kind of want to expand things a little bit and you don't i don't you know at least i don't want to read the same thing over and over right i know there you know i'm sure there are people who do and it's like well you so i'm only going to get this because this is you know this is going to give me that that zap that i want yeah but yeah something something comes along it's like well it's it's neither this nor that so you know what are we supposed to do with it how are we supposed to supposed to handle it how are we supposed to get it reviewed how who do we put it in front of to get it pushed out on the on the internet now right or even to just get it published in the first place i have so many writer friends who've heard from agents and publishers we love this book it's brilliant it's amazing but it'll never sell so we're rejecting it like yeah because it doesn't fit into the box right and publishing is a business so they they will make decisions based on what they perceive their you know their bottom line is telling them right if I start talking about the business, I'm gonna you probably have to cut me off, for so. several years. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> let's let's. I mean, we can do some of it, but if I if I begin to start ranting, then yeah. uh, just zap me through the uh, through the connection here. It's like okay, yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, uh, well, I mean, just to if I can talk about what I'm currently writing right now sure. is the, the Hazeland series of books, and it's crime, but it's uh, kind of weird adjacent horror, but it's kind of a fantastic setting, but it's also kind of slice of life. Huh. So where do you put that? Right. I, I, I'm probably slitting my own throat here, but <laughs> I, I hesitate calling it horror because it, it's not, there are horrible things that happen in it. Right. But it's not that same jolt at the end. It's not the same emotional delivery. Right. So I don't want to get people, you know, worked up like, well, hey, I was told this is horror and I didn't get that feeling. And now yeah. I'm really mad and I hate this person. I'm going to go talk about how much I hate this person. Yeah. There's still a horror story. I wasn't scared. Right. They didn't, you know, they tricked me. They didn't, they didn't give me this thing that I thought I was looking for. So that's, yeah. um, and God bless my publisher because they said, yeah, we can do that. And I nice. said, okay, great. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's go do that then. Let's, let's get nuts. Yeah. So, 
But yeah, that, that's you know, that's just one case. But there's there's lots of lots of other ones that we can bring up. Like I just read um, uh, Things We Lost in the Fire, and I'm mm. trying to remember who. It's a book of short stories by oh shoot I had it oh um, uh, Katerina Enriquez mm. uh, from a couple of years ago, and they're they're all definitely horror stories. But uh, she's uh, she she lives in Argentina, I believe, in Buenos Aires. But it's all horror that sh- that's that's kind of haunted by the shadow of the dictatorship that they lived through in the eighties. Oh wow! Yeah, and how the, there's some lingering some lingering notes of that that you just can't escape, and and she's using she uses that as kind of a scaffold to to build these horror experiences on. Yeah, it's really outstanding work, but it's not it's not really conventional horror. Mm-hmm. Which is, I think, one of the reasons why I like it. I mean, I, I've been reading horror books since I was uh, 12. Yeah. I mean, I, would, I read Night Shift when it came out in paperback. So that's that's how old I am. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it, is, it is tough to, to play with that, you know, expectation versus maybe I gave them something good enough that they'll look past that. and Or maybe they're open-minded enough. And that's... That's tough to tell too, because a lot of times people are very invested, especially on the internet. And well, my identity on in the big room of Twitter is I am, you know, a reader of this, right? And I talk about this and only this, right? So that's a that's a whole nother, you know, part of the map that gets tricky when the more you kind of dig into it. Yeah, no kidding. So, but yeah, in terms of in terms of regular publishing, it's it's like yeah, people can love a book, but they look at it, it's like we have no idea what to do with this and, right. and the marketplace you know and and they're not going to stick their necks out for uh, granted if you're a big enough name you can probably begin to do stuff that's that's really out there or right. that's really breaking things again a stephen king or a um i mean because for instance the i mean the dark tower the gunslinger stuff that's not you know that's fantasy but it's not i guess it might even be epic fantasy kind of Kind of, but it's not really. It's certainly not a horror novel. It's no. It's not Doctor Sleep or The Shining or any of that stuff. So, but again, King is almost his own. He exerts his own gravitational force. Right. He can write he pretty can much anything. It's going to yeah. sell. He's it's Stephen King. Sell. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's an enviable position. Oh, absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about the value of genre awareness, of being aware of of genre, of just kind of understanding genre. It's obviously being genre savvy and it means being market savvy and that's good for your career. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm an expert on that. So (laughs) (laughs) this will be fun. Yeah. I mean, there are people who just kind of, I've met a good, a fair number of financially successful Usually it's like supernatural romance writers who people who don't like to read and don't like to write. They just kind of look at Amazon statistics and look at the market and go, this is the thing that will make the most money. And then they write it and then it works. And I'm like halfway between admiring them versus wanting to murder them. You know, you're (laughs) that's kind of you're, you're looking at it. It's it's like. You're confronted with this, at least I am, I'm confronted with this thing that I just don't know how to react to. It's like you're writing this stuff that you would never read and you and you hate, but it sells. So, I mean, I've, I've had the luxury or the curse of 
basically being my own first audience. Mm. Somebody posted a question on Twitter, I think yesterday even. It's, it's tough to remember with time being what it is now. It's like, you know, would you be a fan of your own work? Well, it's like, of course, why wouldn't you be? I mean, that's, right. it's like, why are you writing something you wouldn't want to read? That doesn't, oh, that doesn't make any sense to me at all. <laughs> no. I mean, I've, I've done contract work where I've like, okay, I'm not really wild about this, but the paycheck's good. I'm not going to argue. I'll try and do the best I can. Yeah. In terms of being market savvy, it's, I don't know, that, that's also, that's, I, I'm not sure I can be much help in that, in that I only know very kind of small markets that are relatively isolated, i.e. the, you know, the cosmic horror, weird horror yeah. kind of, that's because that's where I've been published recently. Oh, I don't know a fucking thing about the market. I am hopeless at, yeah. at that. I've kind of given up on that. I have kind of tried to do that a little bit before, but I wasn't very good at it, and it just felt very unsatisfying. Yeah. I'm like, I'm, you know what? No, I'm not going to do this. I'm just going to do something I care about. I'll be a writer with a desk job, with a day job right. for the rest of my life, and I've made peace with that. Yeah, that's. I mean, at least you made peace with that. I'm, I, I still struggle with it. Yeah. But in terms of in terms of the market and what works in the market, chasing the market is that's insane. Um, unless you're, I suppose if you're a really fast rider, maybe you can try and time it. I don't know. Maybe you can try and catch the wave. I mean, I, you know, the, the first, the first manuscript I tried to sell was a thing called blue highway again, back in 1991. And I sent it to Avon books or whatever the science fiction imprint was. I have it. I have the rejection letter around here somewhere. And, you know, John Douglas said, Hey, it's written, you know, it's pretty good. Uh, do you have a fantasy book in your drawer? It's like, uh, no, I, I wrote this. I gave you this. This is, <laughs> this is what I have. This is, this is what I can do. I said, well, you know, I can't really help you. Oh, okay. Well, and to, you know, to my credit, the next thing a few years later was a fantasy thing, but it was a weirdo kind of mashed up cyberpunk technology thrown into Norse mythology. Hmm. And it's like, yeah, nobody wants that. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. I mean, but. So yeah, it was fantasy kind of, but so I'm, I'm incapable of taking good directions. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's weird for me to think of something like cosmic horror as being a target market. Yeah. It just is because, you know, it was always this outsider stuff to me. Always, always, always. I mean, even learning about, learning about Lovecraft at like age 12 or 13, it's like, and that stuff was, I think it was just being brought back into print then. It had mm -hmm. gone into print like in the 70s and the early 80s. It wasn't really in print until Del Rey brought it, brought those collections out with the Michael Willand covers, at least very distinctive to at least me. So, and, but, you know, aside from that, it was almost a, it was like a, why would you want to write that? It's, it's being read by old weirdos, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Now, fast forward, you know, 40 odd years later, and well, there's, you know, there are a group of people reading this and talking about it, but it's, it's still a bunch of, I, I, and I say this in the most affectionate manner possible, a bunch of outsiders and weirdos and strange folks who are like, okay, let's, let's see what you got in the, you know, in the strangest corners of your brain. Right. Give me that. So I appreciate that, but it's, it's still tough to think of, okay, now, can I tweak this to make maybe make it uh, more copacetic to these folks? It's like, mm. well, I can only do what I can do. That's that's kind of the conclusion I came to.
Yeah, that's what I kind of decided on. <laughs> I mean, as as for knowing, you know, audience expectations, that's, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if, if, I mean, like, I can only think of, like, when I'm going through, for instance, movies on Amazon or whatever, that I'm trying to, like, okay, I just need something to sit down and watch, and I don't want to pull a DVD off the shelf. Mm-hmm. It's like, what's my expectation of this thing? Well, I really kind of just want to be surprised. I kind of yeah. want to, I kind of want something new. I've, I've seen a lot of movies. I know all the, I've internalized all the beats. And if you're not going to give me something new, at least, you know, either make it pretty or, or interestingly ugly or interestingly cheap or. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I just, I'm worried about getting through the book, honestly, <laughs> then, yeah. oh, well, the audience isn't going to like this. So, or yeah cackling that oh well now i get to wreck my character's life and ha 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 the audience is going to love this and you know i never understood that either so kind of i mean i I, we're in this very weird social media landscape now where if you don't fulfill the audience's expectations in a certain way they will show up at your house yeah <laughs> and hide Which in the I, bushes I, yeah wow yeah and accuse you of, of of violence against them or something so that's a good or, an extra fun thing to deal with well yeah that's i mean there's your danger of working on somebody's favorite childhood thing or or telling a franchise story so yeah yeah i don't i it's, don't think i could do that successfully i'd, I'd probably get stalked or something no <laughs> or just fired or i don't know um but yeah, I, I mean, there is definitely a value to, I think, being genre aware, just partly in terms of like, do you surprise the audience? Do you do you meet give them what they want? And also just if you're going to write in a genre, I think it's just good to know it. A oh, lot yeah, of no, literary it's... writers, a lot of literary fiction writers will do this thing where they're like, yeah. oh, let me try and write a ghost story. And the ghost story they write has the most like cliched yeah. standard bits because they don't read much horror they don't read many ghost stories and they don't realize like hey this thing you're doing has been done like 700 times yeah don't you, do this thing i mean you, you kind of need to know why it works it's it's that what's the what's that sawhorse about you need to know grammar before you can start breaking the rules effectively right more or less you know you need to learn english so that you can go around gleefully adding comma splices and yeah <laughs> dangling participles and all those things that I've I've forgotten what they technically are and probably use them all the time. So, yeah, you do. I, I think if you are going to work in it, you do need to know it. But I also th- there's also I think some value in a willingness to be a little bit of an outsider in it, right? But maybe not too much. Um, although I, I I've I've seen this and. I suppose it's because of the people I follow on Twitter, but I, and I hear about it more often than not, the, you know, somebody who's writing genre fiction, i.e. New York times bestseller fiction that is still smart and good, mm-hmm. but they will say just you know, like you brought the example of the haunted house. Well, like I'm going to write a fantasy book only it's going to be arch. And it's like, yeah, see that's, that doesn't, you don't, you're not with it. And it's not quite parody either. And it's not even pastiche. It's something else. It, it's good to know some, maybe even a lot, but I think reverence, like yeah. absolute reverence is, is never a good idea. No, no. Fanboy art is just yeah. awful and boring. Yeah. 
it, it's and all that behind it becomes didactic or what's the I'm, I'm stuck with the weird example from um, Deep Space Nine where the um, the Cardassian Taylor character makes people sit down for a Cardassian play and it's all about the glory of the bureaucratic state. <laughs> it's just like, that's that's how that stuff comes off to me. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you know, you're worshiping this horrible, you know, well, not horrible, but you're worshiping this rigid thing that is right. meant to chew down individuals and produce pulp. Right. Yeah, it, or it's just kind of boring and, and there's too much of a reverence with the subject matter, with the material to actually play with it and change it and do something new, you know? Oh, right. well, we can't kill off this character because he's my favorite character. Or, oh, yeah. we can't change this thing because I like this thing and everyone likes this thing. And we, So you just get a rehash. You, you just get, I don't know, Rise of Skywalker or whatever. You just get this like really yeah, boring well, thing. Now, wandering into franchises, that's, that's another matter entirely, <laughs> yeah. so... Yeah. Um, although you can get interesting, I don't even want to say misfires because I still think the last Jedi was legitimately interesting, um, yeah. what they were doing with it. And then of course it just gets, you know, buried in the first two minutes of the, <laughs> of the next installment. So, oh, well, right. let's just pretend that never even happened. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so there, I mean, there is this, I think utility to, to a certain amount of genre awareness, but there's a, there's a problem with writing to it. There's pro there's a problem with being like a fanboy or a fangirl of such and such genre and trying to write it and that it can be very limiting and I think very formulaic. Like, oh, yeah. I love epic fantasy and epic fantasy always has a, a prophecy with the chosen one, so that's what I gotta put in my book and it right. always has one of those, so that's what I gotta put in it and I gotta do this and yeah, you can it, kind of tell I've met a lot of like aspiring fantasy, aspiring science fiction writers who only read the one genre they want to write in. And the work they put out is always just like a, just a really kind of bad watered down version of that genre. Yeah, it's uh, whereas when I it's uh, not that I've written that much fantasy in terms of like epic fantasy, for instance. But yes, the first thing. The first thing I would do is there's I would probably pick one trope, i.e. the chosen one trope, and yeah. break it immediately. And it's like, okay, now see, let's let's see what we get with this. But yeah. I don't think you know. But you have to be selective, and you you kind of have to commit to the bit in that one. Um, but again, now whether or not that whether or not that'll get past everybody, who knows? Uh, I honestly don't know. A lot of epic fantasy. I mean, I read Tolkien because of the language, not necessarily you know and, and it is a good story but it's also one that has been mercilessly picked to death right. and the bones have been <laughs> picked to death and whatever was left of the dust has been, has been picked to death so yeah it, it's not a, a realm i really want to play in right now yeah yeah there's i mean what new thing can you add to it that it hasn't right. that hasn't been already done that it, I, I i kind of feel like you have to let that particular sort of genre kind of die out for a good 20 years and then revisit it and then like make it fresh and new again or something. <laughs> yeah. I think there's, there's some to that, but I could also, I could probably point out any genre or subgenre that we could think of or name is being published right now. 
Oh, of course. Whether or not it's by anybody we'll see, or we have to go trawling through Amazon to find it or that sort of thing. So it's, you know, nothing's going to get that 20 year rest now. Right. So. Right. um, You kind of just have to forge ahead. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But in terms of formula, yeah, it's, that's the real thing. And like going back to romance and romantic comedies it's you know all those beats are there and you better be on those beats you better you better be choreographed well now you Mm. do have room to do your own thing but you still have to have that you know you still have to work with that skeleton which i always kind of bridled at right right and 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 after a certain point i'm gonna sound like a total snob but you almost stop feeling like an artist and start feeling like you're making someone's chipotle burrito yeah just i want this in it i want that in that you you make just assemble it the way i tell you to like oh okay and sometimes you want a quarter pounder i mean there's that's well sometimes you want a a professional chef sometimes if you're an artist you want to you want to be the chef who makes it not the not the chipotle guy right being the chipotle guy fucking sucks yeah being a chef is like honorable and prestigious being the burrito assembler on the assembly line at Chipotle is a real bad time. And I do worry that there's increasing pressure on, on artists or writers to just be the burrito guy. Yeah. We're getting back to the the market and the demands of the market there. So yeah, Yeah, that's tricky. It's because at at what point are you too slavish or too focused on that structure and and hitting those notes? And at what point, when when does it stop breathing? You know, that's, that's always a big thing with me is like, is, is this work breathing right now? Is it too tightly plotted? Is it too, too hemmed in? That's, mm. I, I get that feeling a lot watching whatever happens to be on. Just, it's just like, it's, things can be structured perfectly. Yeah. But it's like, wow, I can, it's, that's, it's a beautiful crystal, but it's not alive. You know, all these people saying lines, I'm not feeling anything out of this. They are, they're going through it because the story is literally pushing them this way. It's not, I'm not being sold. Yeah. I don't see that this is happening. So yeah, that's, that's tricky too. And I mean, there's a, there's a note here about the, the trappings and forgetting mm-hmm. to focus on, Hey, why do we like stories in the first place? Uh, right. <laughs> Right. I, I do find that a lot when um, aspiring writers, I see this a lot in fantasy writers, in people who want to write that epic fantasy novel. But I, I do think when you focus on genre too much, you get obsessed with the trappings of the genre and you just forget to tell a story. Like yeah. if yeah. you look at forums with aspiring fantasy novelists, they'll go on and on and on about world building on and on and on about here's the magic system and here's the history and here's the lore and here's how wizards work and here's here's some maps i drew of the kingdom and then they'll like forget to tell a story they'll forget to really develop a compelling protagonist and and have an interesting conflict it's just let, let, let me give you another 50 pages about the economics of my yeah. of my realm and here is what their major exports are i think there is a value in doing that mm-hmm. but you've got to keep as much of the, that off the page as you can oh, absolutely <laughs> you, you really just bury it just hide it yeah 
have it exhibited in little lines of dialogue, in, in action, in demands from side characters of the main character or in what the main character wants, but not, yeah, if you sit down, my favorite example is, you know, I'm reading something and then, hey, I'm, hey, this is a lesson in swordsmithing and I, I don't care. Right. I don't, I don't care. I'm I just... want to get back to the story. Okay. needs to make a sword. Got it. Let's yeah. get moving. Yeah, or just explaining every single point. Like if right. I'm just imagining if you tried to write a modern novel in that style and how like nightmarish it would be. It'd be like Oh my god. He ate a sandwich. A sandwich was a, a a delicacy created by an earl three hundred years ago who blah blah blah. Like every single fucking thing written like that, it would just yeah. be excruciating. I mean there I think that that can be helpful if you're trying to make the everyday alien. Yeah. But but you you're probably not. I, I feel like if you're writing a fantasy novel, right. you're not dealing with the, that's the opposite of the thing you want. You know, the only something that jumps to mind is somebody from another period coming to our period. And if you want to you know, explain how really weird our world is, you bring an outsider into it. But yeah, that's, those are special cases. It's like, I read all the Dungeons and Dragons books when I was, you know, and I'm talking about the rule books, not the forgotten mm-hmm. world stuff. And it's just like, Oh yeah, the magic system's kind of cool, but I'd rather read <laughs> stories about dudes blowing stuff up, yeah, or defeating ancient spider gods, or this this sort of thing. It's like that's that's all kind of icing, mm. and icing is tasty, but wow, more than a couple spoonfuls of it, and you're going to be looking for something else. Mm. That's me. Yeah, I'm a weirdo. Yeah, well, that that, and I do think that is what a, a really common problem of falling in love with the genre. Mm-hmm. and not on writing itself mm-hmm. just oh 50 pages about blacksmithing and not focusing on say sentence craft just can you can you write a good sentence well that's can you that's, write a fucking yeah. good sentence like no but let me tell you about my my wizard shut the fuck up yeah that's that's voice and that's stuff that i think can yeah. be taught and developed but yeah that's that's something that's really yeah, but when you when you focus entirely on the genre, and I think oh, right. because there's such a tendency to do that because of fandom. Yeah, like I'm a fantasy fan. I'm a this fan. Right. I'm a sci-fi fan. It's all about the trappings and not yeah. about just the craft of writing. And no, it's that, such no, it's... such a bummer. It's yep. so frustrating, and it limits reading too. It really limits reading. You'll you'll see writing groups where people obviously have a very limited things that they're reading and they'll ask so many questions like, Hey, can I have more than one protagonist and switch between their perspectives? Like, yes. Yeah. Good Lord. You got to read more. Yeah. If you just read slightly more, you would know this already. Yeah. Reading, reading outside the genres, of course, absolutely critical. Essential. And, and even, you know, even reading good for you stuff. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's plenty of entertaining stuff that's good for you. I mean, and there's plenty of entertaining stuff that, presents as one genre but is really something else entirely Um.
But talking about something that's, quote, good for you and, and presents as... Can you define good for you? What do you mean by what? good for you? i.e. I, it has some depth. It has some substance to it. It's not simply an entertainment experience. It's not yeah. mere entertainment. Um, but something like Blood Meridian, which presents as a Western in theory, but it's really a horror novel mm. spanning the westward expansion. So it's, um, yeah, you need to get outside a little. Well, a suggestion, a suggestion that our that our dearly departed audio gremlin made was he did want us to talk about inherent politics as an excuse for writing monarchist tripe in fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> I think Everybody, that is a very I mean, in, interesting topic. Yeah, too. no, we're you know, it's like there's always kings and queens, right? I yeah, mean, there's never that's a just the way things democracy. are. Yeah, or an anarcho syndicalist uh, collective, or yeah. Well, sometimes we get, no, sometimes we get a religious autocracies too. Yeah. Or we never get really like an, even an Athenian style democracy. It's always, there's a king and queen. Yeah. Always, always, always. And I think it's so funny that by the standard fantasy novel tropes, like, okay, you can imagine wizards and dragons and shit, but you can't imagine like people voting. Yeah. You can't imagine a parliament. <laughs> yeah. Or even a republic, yeah. Yeah, not even a republic. Because I, I think, I think in some ways there's kind of a tension between, like a real a real life bureaucratic state, and then magic, for instance. Yeah. That, but yet we, you know, they'll probably they you may have you know again your religious autocracy with you know miracles on demand, and you know enemies being smited by the. Uh, by the members of the church, but that you still maintaining bureaucracy there. So I, I don't know if there's some like mental block there or mm. it's just, Oh, there's always Kings. So if it's just mm. sheer laziness, honestly. I mean, one could argue that I, I think a lot of the fan, some fantasy novels are really clearly going for an archetypical yeah. thing in which case Kings and Queens, if you're dealing with archetypes, that sort of stuff makes a heck of a whole lot more sense than like, contract management specialist level three of the department of motor vehicles. Right. But I, I, I do think some fantasy novels really do go for this sort of like grittiness and, and sort of down to earthiness, but they're still doing the same Kings and Queens still doing and, the same thing. And, and even more, they're like, Hey, Kings and Queens, and this is all cool. Yeah. This is, is fine. Like, There's the good King. It's such a trope yeah. in fantasy. where like, yeah, I know putting the good king who's the the real descendant of the bloodline on the throne and that's not like questions it's like dude you're not helping yourself there hold on yeah well, <laughs> we see what happens in real life when that happens in real life you get Habsburg jaw mm -hmm. it's not a good thing man yeah whenever someone in real life starts talking about the purity of their bloodline it's like oh no yeah you're a psychopath so oh, yeah either like <laughs> incest or a genocide's about to happen neither of those is a really really good thing that i really want to deal with like oh yeah. fuck <laughs> again some of it i think is just expectations just like well this is why I, I grew up reading these fantasies with kings and queens and dragons and knights and everything else and again my first impulse is okay what can we break yeah again this is why i'm not writing fantasy yeah. although i kind of am i mean i'm writing fantastic but not fantasy yeah yeah i know what you mean and I think a lot of there may be a lot of internalized politics that are not that great. 
Yeah. There, I do think there's a lot of a reactionary streak in a lot of pulp genre fiction and in, in, in any kind of escapist fiction, there is often a sort of heavy um, reactionary streak to it. I know uh, the iron dream was this really sharp satirical take yeah, on it in the seventies. Right? Spinrad. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really, uh, really made interesting a lot of science book. fiction people unhappy. <laughs> oh yeah. It, I, it was a very necessary book and I would love to see someone do another one of those for our current era, whatever that is. Yeah. I'm not quite sure that what that would look like, but I, I do think that impulse is still there in a big way. Yeah, <laughs> uh, probably. I mean, my, my first impulse really leans towards noir and, again, the mistrust of all these power structures that are in place. Mm. Or, you know, there's, there's different factions of the power structure, and the interesting person is always between them generally being ground to dust between them, but doing what they can to stop the process or get out from the gears or protect the innocence or honor of their client or yeah. if they're guilty and then letting them hang. Okay. Yeah. So, but that's, is it, that's, I don't, it's not an apolitical stance, but mm. it is, it is its own kind of individual not quite the Steve Ditko, Mr. A, in between the black and white, but you, you have to look at this thing called society as a machine and who's pushing the levers and what are they doing? Yeah. Yeah, which unfortunately, I feel like some neo-noir, again, fanboy fiction or, or fanboy films oh, yeah. really misplace. In the 90s, there was this really big obsession with reviving noir, but it was yeah. all about okay, shadows and people talking about dames and and yeah. hats. And there was this total lack of understanding of, okay, the thing that made noir interesting was that it was about corruption and a societal yep. level. And yep. a heck of a whole lot of the really great noir writers and screenwriters came out of this social these socialist theater collectives and had their careers destroyed by the Red yep. Scare. So there's a very subversive streak and a heck of a whole lot of it. And right. that was so missing from a lot of the imitators that came later. So it just felt really hollow and sad. The imitators glommed on to the whole, the okay, aesthetic. the shadows thing, that's cool. I mean, shadows are always cool. Shadows are cool. The but, aesthetics are cool. Cities, dames, with, dames with nice gams, those are good. Yeah. We all like dames with nice cool, gams. But, but locking it into this sort of 30s, 40s mentality and then just transporting it even into the 90s, it's like, yeah, you, you, know, you have to change some stuff. If you really want it to, again, to breathe and work, or you're just, you know, you're just writing badly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we're not trying to do that. We're trying to write good. We're trying to write good over here. But I do think this is something that I, I think about a lot and mention on this podcast. I do see, I think, a little bit of a parallel between our obsession with these very rigid genres, these very kind of strict genres and micro genres and sub genres and strict identity to them. It does strike me as a little bit of a parallel to in a sort of increasingly popular way of seeing the world, which is that we see people as inherent immutable types and yeah. like an identity, for example, as a thing you are. And not a right. thing you do and not related to how you actually live in the world, how you actually live your life. 
well, even even worse, an identity becomes a thing you consume. Right. Which is it okay, becomes well. <laughs> an IKEA couch. Yeah. With some decorative colors on it. Yeah. Again, the the focus on the surface elements and not looking at what made it what made things work under the hood. Well, I think I, I think part of that it's not beyond genre. It's beyond genre. I mean, it's just kind of a worldview. Seeing people yeah. as types, mm-hmm. like going just beyond genre, but seeing this is my identity. This is what I am, regardless right. of how I live. Mm-hmm. There, there's also the issue that genre names don't really tell you that much. Like, no. <laughs> you say a book is sci-fi, but what the fuck does that mean? Ready Player One and Blindsight are both in the same genre, which is science fiction. But you would never compare those two novels. You know, if someone no. picks up Peter Watts's Blindside, they ask, what, what is this like? You would never in a million years say, oh, it's a lot like Ready Player One, because it is not a lot like Ready Player One. It is radically, yeah. radically different. So on top of the, the issue with genre being formulaic is that it, it's not that helpful. It's not really that helpful. No, and, 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 and we can do the same thing in, in horrors is the exorcist the same thing as night of the living dead i mean not really they're both horror but yeah it's and but that's you know with any broad genre although we can probably do it with westerns too i mean you can compare a roy rogers western to uh the wild bunch right right which is you know less a western and more a meditation on men of the era and loyalty in particular yeah and where that takes you so is it the is it the cowboy duds or is it something deeper? Is it just the throw it throw it out into the desert and mountains and horses and now you have a western? But especially the the macro descriptors are it's tricky. Mm. But people seem to think they have meaning, so we stick with them. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's move on and talk a little bit about breaking genre barriers. You've mentioned that you d- you don't deliberately set out to write in a particular genre you just set out to write and here's how it comes out well let's look at some work that doesn't try to try to stick to these barriers that doesn't try to fit neatly in and and point out that there is a place for it sid wanted to note that the the sort of categories the lines between them used to be a lot gooier yeah. Like guys in the pulp era were very happy to stick cosmic horror in a barbarian sword and sorcery adventure story. Right, right. Sci-fi noir was really hot for a while. Like with do androids dream of electric sheep. It's a, it's a sci-fi noir novel. Or there, then there's that very seventies, early eighties thing where it turns out that this primitive fantasy world of magic is actually our post-apocalyptic future. And the ancient relics they're looking for are like cold war era weapons I fucking love that shit. <laughs> oh, that's the best. That's one of my favorite things. That even did carry out into the 90s a bit. A fair bit of 90s cyberpunk includes supernatural elements like psychic powers, ESP. When a cyberpunk story includes a psychic, I'm just like, oh my God, this is the best. It's the best shit. <laughs> I love it. Where it's just very clearly like, we are not even attempting to be scientifically accurate. Here's a guy who sets things on fire with his mind. We will use some sciencey words to pretend that there is an explanation for this, but just just roll with it. Just roll just, with yeah. it. Just let it go. Just let it fucking happen. That that's the best shit. 
best shit. Yeah, uh, and that's and that's the stuff that'll end up getting remembered. Um, at least it's by so some. good. It's so good. It, it, it's it's a thing that like the editors and and I feel like publishers and the little like nitpickers complain about it, but it is my absolute fucking favorite shit. No, no, I I love oh. the stuff that that falls between the cracks and is neither fish nor fowl. Stuff mm-hmm. like the Night Stalker, which is oh he's a reporter, but he's chasing down vampires in seventies Los Angeles. What? <laughs> You know, that stuff's great. It's, it's terrifically fun. Yeah. It lets you do things that neither one could do yeah. separately. Yeah. And I'm I'm thinking of some really major, I, I guess they might be considered genre novels. They break genre in a lot of ways. The Left Hand of Darkness, for example, it's kind of sci-fi. Yeah. But it still features a lot of folklore. There's a lot of mysticism. There's a scene where Genli Ai visits a soothsayer. And he there's this like psychic group with a fortune teller who can give prophecies. And he just kind of hangs out with the fortune teller for a while. Um, Blind Sight, I mentioned, it's, it's hard science fiction. It's very much a hard sci-fi story. But there's a fucking vampire in it. Well, that, as was I Am Legend, was yeah. basically science fiction. But... Hey, there's vampires, and oh, by the way, they've they've won. Yeah, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. The series is all over the place, and in, in terms of subject matter, also in terms of style. The yeah. e- each installment is radically different from the one before it. It it's like he he just decided I'm gonna just totally write a compl- like start over and write like a totally different book each time, and it's and it's great. It's this classic beloved series, Star Wars. I mean, the big franchise. Yep. It is a space opera, but it's full of wizards. Right. It's full of damn wizards. Moving to video games, the Final Fantasy series has you blowing up nuclear reactors <laughs> and flying zeppelins around with like a fire witch this and a demigod. Way more, way more interesting than the movie that came out in like 2000 or 2001. Oh, God, so. I didn't see that. Oh, it's I. I was in animation <laughs> at the time, and everybody was talking about how amazing it was right. and how the hair was and realistic. It's, like it's I watched it, it's like aged this is badly. Crap. It's so this dated. Is bad. There's nothing. There was nothing to tie it to Final Fantasy, and it was just a you know, just a bog standard kind of science fictiony yeah. atmospheric piece. Too it wasn't bad. very good. Let's see. There's the Dune novels. The Dune. It's sort yeah. of sci-fi, but like there's a ton of mysticism in there. There's magic. Yeah. There's well, and you know, and they're yeah. they're. And the movies, you know, Lynch's movie anyway is goth Star Wars. So right, <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, you know, he becomes a Jedi. Only, well, he's not really. <laughs> he's not a friendly Jedi. So not a nice one? Question not mark. Not a nice one. Nope. Let's see, Cowboy Bebop. It's a space western, and it's yeah. terrifically fun. They're like. It, it, it might be harder to sell stuff that that breaks genre barriers, but when it gets through, like the all these things I mentioned, these are widely beloved stories. I mean, the Left Hand of Darkness is a classic. No, it's a yeah, it's a it's a huge classic. Everybody loves Blade Runner or Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. People love that. There have been a zillion Final Fantasy games where you're like a, a magic space techno wizard, and it's fucking great. People love that shit. I think there's a difference, though, in, for instance, anime versus versus a novel versus the novel yeah. delivery, because 
I mean, anime is a, a mode almost. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you know, it's animation where, yes, there are specific differences between the Western style and, and what we call anime. But they're going to be, I think they're far more, far more willing to, oh, you got your, you got your peanut butter and my chocolate, so to speak. I, I, I feel like people were more willing to do that just 20, 30, 40 years ago, too. Yeah. I feel I, like there's I much more of wrong. a rigidity to it now. That might just be me with nostalgia goggles on. Or maybe well, it's like I'm just remembering the really cool, interesting genre bending things that got through and forgetting that, you know, for every left hand of darkness, there was a hundred completely yeah. generic, schlocky, just out there. And that's even in the big outlets, much less the, excuse me, the not quite, not quite ready for prime time out. Right. So, yeah. Right. But, looking back at things it, it is always easier to pick out the good stuff that wasn't immediately apparent i mean you, you'll always find something back in the day that people will always have been evangelizing for it but the institution just didn't get it one of my one of my favorite i don't know if you'd want to call it a genre but sci-fi horror it's so fucking good oh yeah it's again another combination of genres it's so good everybody loves it why would you not make more of it <laughs> yeah well i mean even something as simple as is alien and alien yeah. An an alien is it conquered what? It it conquered or it, not it came from outer space or it conquered the stars times planet of the vampires, which if you haven't seen is a really wonderful it's not the greatest movie but visually it's amazing. It's just absolutely amazing. Um I think it's Mario Bava. I just saw it recently, but it's it it's very much it sets down the rules of what would happen in Alien. But yeah, it's science fiction and it's horror. It's this, you know, it's this stuff mm-hmm. that it's like, okay, yeah, we're driving around in rocket ships and going to alien planets and we're being possessed by ghosts, which are beings that explain that they exist on a different vibrational frequency, but if they act like ghosts. Right. Oh, I love that when there's a bullshit techno reason for ghosts or vampires yeah. or whatever. Oh, that's my favorite. I love it. I love it. It's like, look, there's vampires in space. Just, just sit down. I, I will give you a bullshit reason as to why there are vampires in space, right. but just roll with it. There are space vampires. We're putting in some space vampires, and you're going to accept this. It's so good. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I mean, Event Horizon, which I was not as kind to when it came out. Oh, I loved that I'm movie. About to, I'm, about, I'm about to go back and revisit yeah, it. Yeah, where they open a gateway to hell with a They open a gateway. It's, I mean, it's so good. Yeah, it's, you know, it's Star Trek with Pinhead, so... It's, pure nonsense i love it i love that shit it's it's the best yeah it's the best and i i there's this very silly idea that like i i feel like people sometimes think it's more rational to keep it separate but i i mean i would point out that we've all heard of clark's law which is how sufficiently advanced tech is indistinguishable for magic why not right. take advantage of that if you're writing science fiction? And I think it's yeah. worth noting that in addition to technological research, the U.S. and the USSR during the Cold War funded a shitload of research into psychic phenomena to try to build psychic super soldiers. Yep. The if Nazis straight up believed in magic and hunted for holy artifacts. Belief in the supernatural is common even in STEM contexts. Yeah, you, 
Well, you know, you don't want to have a psychic warrior gap. I mean, come on. Yeah. That's just that's just asking for the other exactly. side to win. Exactly. If the other guy, you you might not totally believe in it, but if the other guys are funding research in like psychic warriors, well, you you gotta fucking well, fund your own research in your psychic warriors. You gotta do yeah. that in the extremely unlikely instance that it might work. Because <laughs> you know, when you have to explain why that B fifty two disappeared because it was being, you know, zapped with bad thoughts and orgone waves, then yeah. Um, yeah, you you better have an explanation. You better be ready to counter that. Yeah, the, the Cold War. Wow. <laughs> I know. I just love that. That's pretty wild to me. Um, I wanted to bring up one of my favorite kind of non genre things. Well, there's okay. a couple of them, but one of them talking about science fiction horror. Have you seen a series called Sapphire and Steel? No. It's from the 70s. It's a BBC series. And it's about two characters who are effectively time cops, but we do not see the agency that they work for ever. They're just given instructions, go fix this. There's a, there is a wound in time here. We need to fix it. And they use terminology like that. And it's, it's creepy and spooky and it's definitely you know it's low-key horror it's not overt blood and guts in your face horror it's there's a lot of psychic horror and a lot of it's implied because there's no budget so you have to kind of you you get to participate in it too which is even better right it's 1970s bbc your your budget per episode is like here's 20 dollars Yep. Make a, do make it. a TV show. Let's you make can it happen. Key, you know, you can chroma key a couple shots and you've got some lights. There you go. Let's all make this happen. It's wonderful. And you can watch it on IMDb TV, I think, which via Amazon is, I, I need to score the DVDs at some point, mm. but it's, it's not specifically horror, but it's, it's filled with dread and being unsettled. And there are some strange pseudo-technical explanations for things but it's you know they say oh no this is this is actually the the ghost of all these animals that were vivisected in the future and they came back and they're trying to mess around with things now it's just what what is going on here um and of course my i mean my favorite favorite example from recent tv is twin peaks oh hell yeah what is it hell yeah is it is it horror is it a weirdo following these quirky characters in a soap opera is it a mystery is it a you know is it a character study what is it right and then you know the the first and second series yeah those are really good the the fire walk with me comes out it's like i i have no idea what to do with this i'm completely unprepared for this (laughs) because you know it it was it was a complete rope-a-dope it was like well you think it's this thing but it's not it's this thing and you know then you get ko'd yeah. And then the third series rolls around and, you know, they just turn everything up to 15. It's just like, oh, yeah, so you don't know what's going on now, do you? Yeah. And oh, you want your demanding. nostalgia? Fuck you. Yeah. Oh, you wanted, yeah, you wanted, you wanted season three and everything was cute and happy and no. <laughs> Here's what oh, you get. Oh my God. I could go on and on about Twin Peaks season three. It's brilliant. Just strictly on the level of <sighs> what is it? Yeah. Is it an art film? How do you how do you describe it? TV series mystery. Okay, yeah. sure. I guess it's oh god, it's extraordinary that David that David Lynch got to make this. Mm-hmm. That David Lynch got to make something as weird as Twin Peaks on a major TV network in the nineties. I'm wondering if he and Frost when like sat Phil, down. when like Full House was on. Oh yeah, I'm wondering if he and Mark Frost <laughs> sat down and said, "Okay, we're gonna wait it out." 
and we'll find a way to make it happen 25 years later. I know. Maybe. Well, isn't that what I think in the last episode in the red room, in the waiting room, Laura whispers into Dale Cooper's ear, I will see you again in 25 years. Yep. And she fucking did. That's wild. Yeah. It's it's absolutely it is it is an astonishing achievement that they that they pulled this off. So but again, going back to the subject at hand, it defies all of that description. But Lynch usually does too. Of course, I mean, he's David Lynch. He's David Lynch. He does. He works in his own form. So, again, some people are lucky enough that they can they can pull enough of an audience together and say, "Hey, look, just come on a ride with me, okay? Just trust me." Right. I'm not going to tell you exactly what you're going to get. And that the network did, gave them that be... level of creative freedom too. Yeah, that's extraordinary. I, I don't think ugh, you're not going to see too much of that. No. Especially not now. I mean, did you see that list? Jeff Bezos had a list of here are the 13 things that a good show needs. It's like, yeah, I passed the brain (sighs) out. And I'm thinking my favorite shows don't have most of these. Mad Men didn't have all of them. Twin Peaks didn't have all of them. (laughs) Sometimes not even any. Breaking Bad certainly didn't match all of them. It, uh and it's just heartbreaking thinking okay under this guy's under this guy's rules the best stuff wouldn't happen and again what kind of gravitational force is he exerting on what's being put out of course because he's just the zillionaire. even him directly and that's that's spooky yeah yeah oh, god but fortunately that doesn't apply quite as much when it comes to writing. I mean, it's harder to find a publisher for a book if your book is weird, but it's not like you don't need somebody else to give you millions of dollars to write the book. You just right. you just go and you write the book and then you beg somebody to to publish it. Yeah. And then maybe you self-publish it if you can't find someone. So what? Oh well. Oh, uh, that's fun too. Yeah. Yeah. That's a adventure. In in the case of my first book for Broken Eye Books, I knew that I was going to have to do something weird adjacent or weird like. It's not that I was writing specifically to a genre because honestly, you can you can go a lot of different places with weird. Weird is more a mood and a feeling mm-hmm. than I mean. Yeah, you have the you have these skittering things on the edge of oblivion peeking in. Okay, well, I mean, yeah, we deal with that every day. But yeah, there was that level of expectation, but a lot of it was like, yeah, but I don't want to write a go into the into the creepy abandoned house and find the creepy abandoned book that tells us the story of these, you know, the creepy things from beyond infinity. I mean, although there is a book in there, but it's a book the character writes. So Mm. yeah, I use that trope. Sorry. I went there. (laughs) It's, it's like, okay, well, so there's the parameters of it. There's, you know, there's kind of the field I can play in. What, you know, what parts of the field can I dig up? What, how far out on the edge can I get without falling off? That's way more interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I don't, I don't ever approach my stories in terms of I'm going to write a horror story. It's I'm going to write a story and I, I guess it'll be horror then. I guess it'll yeah. just because that's the subject matter and the tone that's coming out. Um. But I, I would worry a lot about how the ubiquity of fandom and how fandom is like becoming this more and more all-consuming force kind of saps people away from that. Because yeah. like, if you're a fan of such and such thing, then you want to make that thing. 
Yeah. And you end up doing the fanboy art, fangirl art, and and not kind of forging your own path, but, oh, these are the parameters. All right, I'll make something within these parameters and not expanding that. So I, I if any of our, our listeners have that problem, have that habit, I'd really encourage you if you want to be a fantasy novelist or something, I encourage you to like not try to write fantasy so yeah. much as to just try to write. And if it comes out fantasy, then that's awesome. And maybe it won't, maybe it'll come out as something a lot more like strange and wonderful and different. And that's, that's good. Don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of that. Go off the beaten path a little bit. A quick thing is also, I think there's an expectation of if I write this as fantasy that everybody recognizes as fantasy, I'll have a better chance of succeeding and connecting with a, an audience. Mm-hmm. And there's, I mean, that's, that's hard to argue with. Yeah. Whether or not it's actually true is, you know, another, another issue entirely. It's hard to argue with, but I, I, I guess I could say that if you're that obsessed with writing something within that genre, within, is it, is it even going to be interesting enough to get published? Because well, yeah, standing that's... out can hurt you, but not standing out enough that sure hurts you too. Because oh yeah, there are a million people with manuscripts of generic fantasy novels trying to get published, and you got to have something special about you. Yeah, even if it's not a huge thing, but there's you've got to be different from the million other manuscripts they the publisher gets that year. Yeah, no, it's it's a a frightening amount of manuscripts that are being lobbed at publishers much less even looking at the self-publishing wing of things and at that point it's it's almost a matter of voice and can you can you make the telephone book interesting with your voice that's that's kind of one way i put it just if if you're writing voices compelling enough you can make average material sing and hopefully your editor will say, okay, this is kind of average material, but let's see if we can, let's see if we can punch these things up. I'm not sure if that, I I don't know if that's the approach to take though. Like if you're treating your own work as here's a boring thing, let me punch it up with my voice. Like that almost feels backwards to like treat no, your I'm, own work like that. I'm not like saying that. that that's, that's not something to aspire to, but that's something that somebody with a voice may wander in with. If you see what I'm saying. Uh-huh. Somebody may have, I, I imagine that there's probably a generic fantasy that can be written well enough that I would pay attention. I don't know that I'm ever going to find it though, because it's not, not what I'm going after. And I don't have the time to read. <laughs> I read nonfiction now. Well, um, I can't I see some somebody fiction, with a, a voice like that writing generic fantasy, you know? Well, you never know. I have trouble with that. Just how, how, would, how would that happen if you have the amount of talent to make such an extraordinary voice? I don't know. Who knows? All right. Well, why don't we wrap it up? Because we've been talking for a little over an hour. Um, where can our listeners find your work? My work right now is being published by Broken Eye Books. So if you go to www.brokeneyebooks.com, I also maintain my own site at uh, highway62press, all one word.com. I blog semi-regularly at it's just that slash blog. But if you go to the website, you'll, you'll see a button that you can, we can click on and there we go. Um, and I yak too much on Twitter where I am at uh, highway underscore six, two, 
but uh, I won't explain any of my books to you, so don't ask. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. All right. And thank you, audience, for listening. That's all for this week's episode. If you like what you heard, please support us at patreon.com slash writegood. And be sure to join us next time when we talk about negative space. Until then, keep writing good. This has been Write Good with Raquel S. Benedict. Hosted by Raquel S. Benedict and produced by Matt Keeley for KS Media LLC. Edited by Sid Oosley. Theme song by Surgery Head. This has been a Kitty Sneezes production. For comments and concerns, please write to us at writegood at kittysneezes.com. That is R-I-T-E-G-U-D at kittysneezes.com. If you'd like to support us, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash writegood. Kittysneezes.com in color. <laughs> <laughs>